0: Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the gaping political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, also known as the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America. Take that. Hey, um, if you value what we do, we could sure use your support, so visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit doing good work in the world, consider becoming a sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Uh, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway has an excellent local produce selection. And I would also check out Gateway's catering and floral services, too. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, Thanks also to Vibes Kitchen and Bar, serving creative interpretations of American classic food and drink. Vibes has a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere and an awesome outdoor patio. It's the perfect place for parties or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more on Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. So later in the program, uh, libertarian candidate for Iowa Governor Rick Stewart joins me. Uh, we'll also be hearing uh, talking with Matt Russell. He's with the USDA and he joins me to talk about double cropping. Actually, that's a lot more interesting than it sounds. And finally, the to- wrap the program up kathy burns and i will host our garden october garden A. first though i'm delighted to welcome ralph king to the program ralph was a documentary filmmaker and a climate activist and um i met him years ago i think i met you at standing rock ralph yes
1: yeah i think that's right in the in the snow
0: and then yeah, in the snow that's right we had a blip the day i arrived blizzard but um you also came out to Iowa in I think it was 2018, maybe 2017, uh, and right. you filmed the entire week-long uh, climate justice unity march, and that was a fascinating experience because we were hated pretty bad, <laughs> but because uh, because a, a, a an element of um, of uh, of Tiger Swan, the security firm, the goons hired by Dakota Access to. Make trouble for people opposed to the pipeline. Uh, they had poisoned the internet and people were like rapidly angry at us. And I, I, I wasn't expecting that. And I'm guessing that you, from what you know about Iowa hospitality, probably weren't expecting that either.
1: No, I sure wasn't. Um, and it was kind of like a, a precursor to what happened in the Trump era that they managed to create something on Facebook, this video that went viral. That painted you and the and the and the marchers as these the devil incarnate. And, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. So
1: we we were along for the ride and enjoying the conflict in a sense. But I know it was a little terrifying. <laughs> you were the only one the enjoying.
0: Marching. You were the only one enjoying it, Ralph. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, it, I mean, none of us
0: expected that. And uh, the fascinating thing that happened was that the uh, as we got to as we meaning the marchers and this was a group of. Um, Native American and, and kind of going Iowa Iowa environmental activists uh, who united to make this march possible and we kind of found it, found out that once we got to you know meet personally with talk with these uh, the local folks we found that we found we found some commonality and that was what became the whole crux of the uh, film crossing the divide
1: yeah, it, it was cool because the, the, the neighbor at that first camp had put this Confederate flag up in his yard. And of course, that you know really stirred up a hornet's nest. And the next day, he admitted that he'd been wrong to do that and came the following evening to a, a, a talk, a picnic dinner. And it was a great dialogue back and forth. It made for great filmmaking. <laughs> On the one hand, it was his wife and um, saying how she didn't think that anything was wrong with a Confederate flag. On the other hand, it was an African-American woman from Des Moines, I think, who was saying, well, you know, uh, this is the uh, absolutely the <laughs> horrifying thing, image uh, for me, uh, having you know, grown up around here, and, and I was terrified. So it, it was really a nice moment um, seeing people sitting down together and airing their differences and and. Understanding that you know they were both you know um, the human qualities. So yeah, and in, in and in the picture. end,
0: finding in the end finding more common ground than differences. And uh, I mean, are the 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 folks who were originally opposed to us, the guy that put up the Confederate flag, who came to dinner with us, with his wife, with some other folks from the town, they were appalled by the there was, there was a jeep driving by yelling Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And they were, they were appalled by that as well.
1: <laughs> you know, so yeah, we, they were. And the cool thing was that a couple months later, we had a reunion of all the people in that right. in, in his in his little town there, and um, that was a, a whole um, another coming together. And and then um, it, it, it cleared the way for you and and this fellow to have a, a little bit of uh, uh, collaboration on water quality issues, which were so important to him. And yeah. the, just the beginning of a little bit of. Of, of his his, his activism, yeah. I guess. So, and
0: I want to uh, point too. out too that you know he you know it wasn't it wasn't one of us, quote liberals. I mean I, mean, I don't really like that word, but you know they, it wasn't one of us marchers that broke the ice and started to mend fences. It was him. It was the the local conservative farmer guy who put up the Confederate flag, who kicked off the conversation, that kind of created this unity. You know my favorite moment in the march, and I think you captured this in the film as well. Is when we get a note from him saying, you know, I've talked to some key people here involved with county government, and they really like when when we, we talked about you know it, protecting the water. Uh, they're really on board with that, and I uh, just yeah. want you to know that your march is making a difference. So that was really that yeah. was that was a, that was almost a tearjerker for me to hear that, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and. Um... You know, I I think it's it like gives people a little bit of hope that well, if you if you don't um, go into a situation with a, a closed mind, if you kind of open yourself up to the possibilities and and really listen, that's what you all were doing. You were listening. You were sitting down listening. That um, you can you can find those things. So I, it's I think it's really important, particularly right now when you know polarization is just. Yeah. Everywhere in America.
0: And, you know, we've seen, and I, th- I think the partisans of the world and the media like to, they like to emphasize that, those differences. They like, to, they, like to, yeah. they like to make the story about the differences, not the people coming yeah. together. I, I want to talk about the, uh, the carbon dioxide pipeline situation here. But first, uh, I know you've been doing some bridge building work, too, uh, using kayaks in your work out in the western U.S.,
1: Yes, that's right. And it's fascinating, it maybe a, <laughs> it may a little bit confusing, but it just coalitions are so important. And we, as um, I'm, I'm a Caucasian privileged person, I've been in various climate groups and we've always suffer, suffered from a lack of diversity and living at some distance from the pollution that we're fighting. Um, and so after George Floyd's murder, um, uh, we, we decided to try something new. Um, and that was to use a kayak as a as a kind of a vehicle for, for, for bridging the gaps for or organizing across differences. And kayak is sort of a funny way to go at it because it's, yeah. it's considered a an elite sport, right? It's expensive and all that. Or or the or the, or the or the or the
0: or the primary transportation for the Inuit people.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, San Francisco Bay is an ideal setting for kayaktivism. We have all these refining uh, refineries up here, and um, that are you know play a kind of an invisible role in accelerating the climate crisis. But they offer a lot of powerful symbols for resistance, mounted by a flotilla of nimble kayaks. (laughs) Um, So we're we're trying. We we, we're we're using it. we, it, we've gotten together with a group of people in Richmond, California, which is where this, this big refinery is based, and um, have uh, introduced classes, uh, kayaking, and we're, we're trying to build this group um, so that, you know, it can, this common interest sort of binds us across our cultural, socioeconomic, racial generational differences mm-hmm. to kind of amplify the, the power of this message. So, we we think that the kayak can be a vehicle for societal and planetary healing. I know that in, in your <laughs> neck of the woods, <laughs> there may not be the big bodies of water to do it, but uh,
0: maybe, maybe we can make the a similar use of the combine. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, but but the I'm guessing that Richmond is a being the target of refineries and whatnot is a is a minority community. Yeah. it's
1: one of the mo- most diverse cities in the, in the country. It's um, hmm. largely um, Hispanic, uh, black, Asian, and um, very few whites, in fact. And it's, um, it's a very progressive city also. They had a socialist mayor um, a, number, a few years ago, and they're, they're, it's a very, very activated uh, population. Because they lived in this pollution, the asthma rates are terribly high in, in their PE classes and middle schools they have the regular PE class, and then they have the asthma club for kids that, that can't do the, the normal things. Yeah.
0: Well, that that's, uh, yeah, I, good luck with that work. It sounds fascinating, and it sounds like it's making great progress. And again, coalitions need to be built in all sorts of directions. I mean, back in 2017, it was a group of largely white uh, community activists focused on the environment coming together with uh, Native Americans to make that Climate Justice Unity March happened. Now, we've got the situation here with the, uh, with the carbon dioxide pipelines, three different pipelines that would condemn a total of 2,000 miles of Iowa farm ground. Well, condemn or go through. Uh, condemnation, I think, will be used frequently, I'm afraid, if they get their way. Um, but this is, as with, the, as with the Dakota Access Pipeline, this is an opportunity to build some, some bridges with very diverse constituencies. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. your, your average Iowa farmer is probably more aligned with the Republican Party than the Democratic Party, not exclusively. But the, um, you know, there's a common concern here. I mean, there are folks, I mean, I, I'm concerned about all, I'm concerned about water quality, the threats of the water, uh, climate, uh, climate, uh, climate change, and certainly the abuse of eminent domain that would be needed to build this pipeline. And I think a lot of landowners are concerned about at least two or three of the two of those three things. And that, again, brings, you know, a lot of opportunity for really working together and uh, identifying that common ground and ideally building on it. I mean, you know, back to the film you did, Darren and I still keep in touch. You know, we still, we still, you know, visit on Facebook once in a while, talk on the phone once in a while. Uh, that, That relationship that was made, again, in part with your help. Uh, was uh, is you know is a continuing uh, continuing you know relationship.
1: Uh, that's so great, and I I'm, it's just shocking to me that eminent domain is used to to force people to give up their lands to these carbon dioxide pipelines that that explode now and then. Yeah,
0: well, here's the I other mean, shocking thing. The most recent shocking development is that two of the pipeline companies are suing landowners who don't want the pipeline company coming on their land to survey. The company is oh. suing the landowners. Yeah, brilliant, huh? That is unreal, yeah. unreal. So Crossing the Divide, again, it was a great film. I I was surprised it didn't become a national sensation. I thought you did a great job with it. It's really professional. Well done. Oh, thank you. And uh, it's, not, it's not done being shared either. Apparently, you've got an event coming up.
1: We do, yeah. Next week at the Green Film Festival of San Francisco, um, it's going to be in a program with two other shorts. But for listeners who won't be able to come to, to San Francisco, there will also be a virtual screening and an online Q&A uh, with me and the other filmmaker um, on October 6th that becomes available. So if you Google Green Film Festival of San Francisco, you could find this our film Crossing the Divide and then then sign up to okay. to watch the streaming version of the film and, and catch this Q&A if, if you're interested. You, you, you'll get to see a, a side of, of Ed uh, you get to see him, <laughs> him on camera being a, a, a great inspiration. Well, voice. I
0: don't know about that, but uh, I, I, there, there are a whole bunch of interesting and I think very thoughtful people interviewed in that film. So, uh, is it is it, uh, is it time for round two of a, of another crossing of crossing the divide film? Are we ready for uh, part B of that?
1: Yeah, I'll follow you wherever you lead. And, uh... <laughs> oh, that was
0: that was clever, Ralph. Dump it back on me. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you know. I, I don't. I don't see any marches in my immediate f- future. You know, they. There's always the times are. It, 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 there's always the the, the right uh, tool to address the the current problem, and it. You know, I mean, sometimes it's very. Sometimes it's protests. Sometimes it's a march. Sometimes it's. Uh, Sitting down and dialoguing, sometimes it's an educational forum, sometimes it's voting, it's elections. I I personally, I think right now the most important thing we can do is to encourage everybody to get out and vote. I think voting and getting the right people in positions to influence the important conversations, I think that's the, the key thing right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm preparing to go to Nevada um, in a couple of weeks and do some door-to-door canvassing uh, oh, there since it's such okay. an important state. Right, right, yeah.
0: Well, Ralph, um, again, I think the film's a, 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 great, a great opportunity for people to think about how in their own lives they can begin to create that dialogue. You know, I mean, one thing I did a couple years ago, Ralph, maybe you were aware of this, was I had um, the first 13 weeks of the year, I think it was 2020, I had a different uh, Iowa Trump voter on my program. Mm.
1: And I had, I had yeah.
0: pushback from the left saying, how dare you give these people any more time and opportunity to talk? Well, you know what? We came, we came through those conversations. I identified maybe 12 to 15 issues. Most of us agreed on 10 of them. Most mm. of us agreed mm-hmm. there's too much money in politics. We agreed that supporting local business is better than buying from chains. We agreed that organic food is better than stuff treated with chemicals. We agreed that water quality is a real big concern. You know, we, we found all these points of agreement. You don't mm-hmm. ha, you don't get to those points of agreement by demonizing the other side.
1: That's right, yeah. So, and I was a, I used to be a print journalist. I wrote for the Wall Street Journal for years. And I now think of media as you know, they catastrophize and demonize. I'm, I'm a little ashamed of my former you know, profession, um, Um, So that just seems to be all they do.
0: Well, you don't do that, and you, I think, provide a great service to the world by the work you do with film, so um, thanks again. Uh, Hey, folks, we've been talking with Ralph King, and uh, you can check out, if you're in San Francisco or that greater area, October 9th is the Green Film Festival, and Ralph's film Crossing the Divide is one of three films profiled. If you aren't in the uh, San Francisco area, you can enjoy a virtual screening of that production on October 6th. I will put the link up on everywhere I can, my blog, Facebook, various places. And I hope uh, folks will take a chance to check it out. Ralph, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ed. Fantastic. All
0: right. So, hey, um, when we come back from a short break, uh, we've invited all the Iowa gubernatorial candidates on the program so far, one of them has agreed, and he's going to join us after the break. Rick Stewart of the Libertarian Party, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com.
0: Vibes Kitchen & Bar in downtown Des Moines at the corner of 13th and Walnut serves clever, creative, modern interpretations of American classic bites and drinks. The Vibes team offers great food and customer service in a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere. Vibes is the perfect place for your party or function, and it's got an outdoor patio ideal for hobnobbing with friends and coworkers or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Kitchen & Bar's Facebook page. Big corporations control most of the media. The niche we provide here is more important than ever, so it'd be great if you could support what we do folks. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website, sign up for our updates, uh, donate, uh, even better become a monthly sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Western Optometry, uh, that's located in Des Moines East Village and Dr. Joel Westrom, his staff as well, are all fluent in both English and Spanish. The clinic is open from Monday until Friday, uh, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Uh, thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, anywhere in Iowa, uh, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Okay, so I have invited all the Iowa governor, gubernatorial candidates to interview for this program. I've heard back from one so far, and I'm delighted to have him in the studio with me, Rick Stewart with the Libertarian Party. Welcome to the program.
3: Well, thank you very much. I'm a repeat guest on your show, and I I like it more and more every time. So thank you for the the invitation.
0: Well, let's keep that trend going. Hey, so I first want to ask you about, you have a commercial out that has caught a lot of attention. It's you... um, basically saying that uh, Governor Reynolds and, well, the state of Iowa needs to legalize marijuana once and for all. And it's, very, it's, a, it's a clever ad. It's hard-hitting. Just tell us a little bit about what's behind that and Why is that issue so important to you that it deserves an ad?
3: Well, uh, I've been an opponent of the war on drugs uh, officially since about 1992 uh, when I read an article in a, an academic journal, uh, an economic journal, uh, that explained the economic rationale between uh, not having a drug war. And I, just yes, like, okay, that's, I, I always felt it in my heart, but then I, I realized okay, th- there's no economic reason, it's a bad idea uh, financially. Uh, so now I am going to go out there and try and spread the word. Uh, and I've been doing that ever since. So that's right. why my first ad was uh, legalize
0: marijuana. And Governor Reynolds is on the opposite side of that. What about Deirdre Dugier, the Democratic candidate? Is she in agreement with you on the need to legalize marijuana?
3: Well, interestingly enough, I don't think she had an opinion on it until uh, <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago when uh, the entire Democratic Party of Iowa uh, jumped on the train uh, and said, uh, we want to to legalize marijuana.
0: That's interesting to me because, you know, um, I think I might have been one of the first, if not not the very first legislator to introduce uh, legislation legalizing marijuana for medicinal purposes. It was me and eight other Democrats back in 1993. Oh, and one Republican. But, yeah, the it's, Democratic Party... It's a bipartisan It uh, should be. Question, but, you know, huh? I mean, the Republican Party continues to be horrible on on it, and the Democratic Party just seems to be finally coming along. But let me ask you about something that I i think I heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said that... I'm going to talk about taxes. Taxes are theft. Now, nobody's fond of taxes. Well, there are a few people who are. I'm not. Uh, I'd rather keep them as low as possible. I'd, li- I'd rather see as, as progressive as possible, meaning... The working folks don't have to pay as much as the people on the top of the economic pyramid. But I believe I heard you say taxes are theft. Is that true?
3: Uh, Well, in in private conversation, uh, I I, I might say that uh, among people who uh, think the same thing. It's a a libertarian thing. Um, There's a a perpetual candidate for the uh, chair or the presidency of the Libertarian Party who has it as uh, his motto. Uh, but the problem is, it's a little bit uh, of a sophisticated argument, and I think it goes places that are difficult to follow unless you're uh, but, extremely involved. So I don't really say that. Uh, but taxes so, so saying
0: taxes of theft is the opposite of a sophisticated argument. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's ultra simplistic.
3: Well, it's the tail end of a sophisticated argument. Uh, well, you can, yeah, I, you can get there if you uh, go through multiple steps. Um, they, the, the same people that say that would, would say, that, you know, that um, uh, that's force because so, the government forces you to pay the taxes and you don't have an option. And the okay. libertarian platform is always uh, we're against force uh, in in, in so any situation. So how do you how do you
0: build the roads? How do you how do you fund the defense of the country? How do you pay for water quality cleanup, uh, for example? How do you pay for K through twelve education?
3: Uh, well, uh, just because they're theft doesn't mean we don't get them. So you pay for them with, uh, with other means. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the question about roads, of course, if you go back uh, to the revolution and for a long time afterwards, maybe 50 years afterwards, uh, the government didn't build the roads. Um, the, only, the first time that the government got involved with that was, uh, was actually was canals. Uh, and, you know, as you would expect, it was a boondoggle and there was lots of corruption uh, because the people who wanted to build the canals got the government to give them money. Uh, with respect to, to defense, that's why we have a militia, uh, we, we volunteer, we, we own our own arms, uh, and then we gather together when we have an invasion and, and we that,
0: resist it. And that would have worked in, say, World War II?
3: Well, a person can argue that we might not have been in World War II if uh, we had followed that uh, idea all along. Uh, we did pretty much follow that until didn't we need uh, the to Civil be War. A, I
0: mean, didn't we need to be in World War II? How else do you stop a madman like Hitler? Well, don't have World War One would be a good start. Oh, well, sure, okay, and don't don't, bol- don't, uh, don't botch the uh, the aftermath of World War One. But yeah, and don't have the
3: Spanish American War.
0: Okay, okay, but all that's water over the dam. You have got a madman Hitler taking over the world, uh, exterminating six million Jews. Uh, if if nothing, if diplomacy and sanctions and nothing else works, then a military response might be the logical extension, uh, next step. But but you can't do that with a militia. You've got to do it with a professional. Army. Here, here I am, the 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 guy Here's who's the against is going against, against most wars. But I'm saying in this case, I you know I I'm I'm not a hardcore across the board pacifist. Uh, I can't think of a war since World War II that made any sense. But stopping Hitler made sense, and you know, I don't see how you do that with the militia.
3: Well, I think what you're saying it was uh, it was too late to do it the right way. So we have to do the best we can, uh, and and for that reason, uh, uh, you know I think that uh, it was uh, useful for the United States to to get in and uh, and try and clean up the mess that somebody created uh, with our help, but I don't want to blame us for no. World War II. Um, I, what, what I'm saying is that, um, you know, the the United States government's job is to protect Americans. Uh, it's not to protect anyone else. Uh, I, I know that there are humanitarian reasons, but I think those humanitarian reasons uh, have to be paid for by the, the humanists, uh, not out of the public uh, pot. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know... If you do find yourself at the bottom of a deep hole, you, you better use the tools to to get out of it, and I think that's what we did in World War II.
0: Okay, so what 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 would a uh, what would the tax policy be of a Rick Stewart administration in, in Iowa?
3: Well, in Iowa, oh yeah. well, the I first mean, yeah yeah in, in state Iowa, taxes yeah the sure. first thing you do is eliminate the income tax because it's the uh, it's inefficient, it's ineffective, and it's irritable. I call that the three but I's. i's. It, isn't
0: it also the most progressive? If it's structured correctly, don't the don't the wealthiest pay the most? With, an in, with a properly structured income tax?
3: Well, probably not, because uh, th- this comes down to the, the fourth reason why you don't want one. Uh, it's really just a playground for politicians, and they do they do uh, tax credits or reduced rates for the people that elected them, uh, and they uh, don't do them for the people who didn't elect them. Well,
0: not so. if, not, not if they're good politicians who are really statesmen who are women who care about the people that they that elected them.
3: Uh, Well, if you can find any of those, I I (laughs) want to meet them. All right, well, I'll keep looking. No, so
0: what what would your taxation policy look like? How would you pay for public education for roads, ideally for a decent train system, for example? I'd love to see a train system in Iowa. How would you pay for those things?
3: Uh, well, uh, you have to substitute uh, a different kind of tax for the income tax, right. uh, and you want what you're looking for is one that's efficient and it's effective and it's enjoyable. Uh, those are the three E's. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it could be an excise tax, it could be a, on vet, a VAT tax. An
0: excise tax on what?
3: Well, we already have, uh, I'm fairly certain that the taxes we have on tobacco and alcohol and gambling are, are excise taxes because, you know, you tax things that you don't want. And it, to a point, and yeah. then
0: and then you create a black market if you go too far. Exactly.
3: And and we probably already have a black market. It's <laughs> yeah. to our advantage because the people from Illinois, I know they come over to Iowa to buy uh, their cigarettes. But um, uh, you're, you're going to probably have to have a VAT, a value-added tax, which is, for huh. most purposes... For Simplification that's the same as a sales tax, uh, and property tax are the other two the other is the other one that um, brings in a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, a property yeah, but, tax is very progressive because yeah, but, if I have a big house, I have to pay more, and if I have a little house, I don't pay as much. Uh, and, a, and a sales tax is progressive too, in that right now in Iowa, uh, you know, we don't pay tax on the basics like food, but we do pay tax on the, the non essentials. Yeah, like
0: uh, every analysis of the sales tax that I've seen, even when you factor in uh, no sales tax for food and clothing. Every sales tax is nonetheless regressive. It hits the poorest and the and the lower lower working class folks hardest. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see those because I
3: don't want to implement okay. a tax which is regressive at mm. all. That's that's the worst kind of a tax is mm. a regressive one. Um, but uh, you know, what I think we need to do is just understand the income tax is the worst possible solution. We can't uh, immediately just. Eliminate it and say, go about our merry ways because we're already spending enough money that we need that tax to pay for what we're spending. Uh, So I'm just in favor of transferring it. Uh, There are other ways to have progressive policies uh, which work well. But every time you have a a tax that the politicians can play with, uh, I can guarantee you they're they're not going to be progressive. They're just going to be trying to get votes from their supporters. They can
0: can play with any, any form of taxation, and they do. They do the best, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're right. effective. So but the, well, the
3: income tax is, is particularly uh, egregious, and you can tell that just by looking at the uh, length of the instructions in the law oh, uh, that you have to fill out in order to yeah, do the,
0: fill your income tax. No, no, no disagreement there. The, uh, the, yeah. the forms are out of control. Let me ask you about climate change. Um, what would a Rick Stewart administration do regarding climate change?
3: Well, there's only one economically efficient way to achieve a goal uh, of reducing carbon or methane or any of the other um, pollutants which uh, increase the temperature, and that's a carbon tax and a methane tax, uh, which you apply um, on on all the carbon, right, and all the methane. And then uh, um, what, what that does is it increases the price and it'll decrease the usage, and you can just increase that tax uh, gradually so people aren't shocked. We don't want to shock here. We just want to get to the right place uh, so that uh, the amount of methane and, and CO2 that we put into the environment uh, is the amount that we are willing to accept into the environment. You could even go so high uh, that um, people were incentivized to uh, just get it out of the atmosphere and mm-hmm. and put it someplace else. Uh, please don't put it at the bottom of an old oil well for <laughs> okay. uh, but when you tax something like that, uh, you can find that point where we have the least amount of. Uh, so, what, carbon, what, and what uh, about biases.
0: policies to encourage more local food production? Since uh, you know ag- agriculture has been pointed, it's been targeted as a, a source of climate p- pollution. I think sometimes that that, uh, that uh, tag is uh, is all encompassing instead of focusing on specific elements of agriculture. But but what about? Uh, I, mean, I think everybody agrees that, that growing more food locally. Would not only just be it'd be a lower carbon footprint. It'd be friendly for the environment generally. It'd be uh, it'd be more it'd be producing healthier food for our local peoples, and it'd probably be creating a heck of a lot of good jobs too. what, well, what, what would your administration do regarding that?
3: Well, the answer is almost always not always the same, uh, and that would be to put a negative tax on local food that you wanted people to eat. Uh, negative tax just means that uh, the you'd pay
0: less for that kind of food uh, in the marketplace. How do you, how do you structure that? How does that work? Well, it would be
3: just a negative, uh, uh sales tax, for example. So I uh, buy,
0: I buy a dollar worth of carrots and I get, uh, I get a nickel back.
3: Yeah. If they're local, then you'd get a, you get money
0: back. I pay 95 cents yeah. instead. Yeah. That way I've the producer, that. yeah, that way. Negative the, sales tax. Okay. Yeah.
3: The producer is incentivized to grow the same amount and the consumer for. Has uh, that been tried anywhere? Probably not. Most of my ideas have never been tried. That doesn't make them a bad idea. No, not at all. Not There's at other all. things that might make them a bad idea, but right. not that they haven't been tried.
0: So what about K-12 education? There's a lot of focus on that, and a lot of the focus has been on uh, punitive stuff, right? banning books, for example. Where, where does libertarian candidate Rick Stewart stand on banning books?
3: Well, certainly I don't uh, stand uh, for any, I, w- I won't stand for any banning of a book. Uh, that's one of the most regressive ideas i can ever hear we need we need the marketplace to be filled with ideas i don't care whether i agree with them or not we need all the ideas in the marketplace so you don't ban stuff if you want it okay, okay. Uh, that's 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 the easy part of that question even
0: books for children that some parents might feel are inappropriate
3: well don't buy that book
0: okay what if the school has bought it
3: well, uh, tell, it's the, available tell for the, your kid in the yeah, library. Well, tell, tell the school that you would like this book to not be available to your child. Okay. Don't make it unavailable to every child because maybe some parents would like that book to be available to their okay. child. So let them have their books, and as a parent, take responsibility for not allowing your children to read the books you don't think they should
0: read. And what about private schools, charter schools, uh, that sort of thing?
3: Well, I, I don't like to think about the schools. I like to think about the teachers. Uh, and I think that the money that the government collects from all of us, so that we can have a free education when we're of uh, when we have children that money uh, should go to the teacher directly and the, the parents should be able to pick the teacher uh, and then if they find the teacher that they believe is going to provide the best education for their child that teacher gets that money i don't really care what building that teacher is in i don't differentiate between a charter school and a public school and a private school uh, if the the, if the parent paid the taxes from birth or from you know whenever mm-hmm. they start paying taxes to death and now they're expecting to get a free education mm-hmm. and
0: uh, that's good, but let's Look, let's get them get the teachers that they want. Again, the argument is that if we if we divert too much money from the public education system to private schools, that's going to decimate the funding base to support those public schools.
3: Well, I understand the argument, and I understand the emotions of the people that make that argument. But uh, the, what we should have is we should have our attention focused on. Uh, excellent teachers that uh, satisfy the needs of both the parent and the child. Uh, and, and, and again, why would I care whether they were in a private school or a public school? If the parent wants it, the parent paid for it, right? For, yeah. for years, they should get the education that they want from their child.
0: So one last question about the political side of this. Typically, a libertarian candidate scores maybe one or two, maybe 3% of the vote in a race for governor or U.S. Senate. How does, uh, how does candidate Rick Stewart do better than that?
3: Well, to start off with, I'm not typical. So I expect uh, atypical results. Uh, I've worked extremely hard for this. I've uh, been all around the state, talking to lots of people, uh, being on lots of podcasts, being on lots of, uh, getting into lots of newspapers and letting the TV stations see me. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to break the, any previous record for libertarians. But I think you also have to understand that the number one challenge for me is uh, basically awareness. So people have to know I exist. Uh, and that's very hard to do if you're not a celebrity or if you don't have <laughs> $10 million, uh, because you have to get out there on the road and work hard for every one of those. And right. it's, it's not that easy of a job. Uh, we need more people in Iowa who understand that they're uh, always going to have three choices on the ballot, I hope. Uh, One of them's going to be a Republican, one of them's going to be a Democrat, and one of them's going to be a Libertarian. And and, uh, uh, we'll definitely get a lot more votes when people know that we exist.
0: Are the the major media uh, entities that are involved with hosting debates including you in those debates?
3: Uh, well, to the best of my knowledge, there's been only one media that's uh, interested in hosting a gubernatorial debate, and that's the Iowa PBS. Uh, and no, they've excluded me for uh, because I don't meet their criteria. Uh, it's a little bit complicated, but what it boils down to, there's there's five criteria. I only get I only have to meet four of them, but one of them is you have to be a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I know that sounds unbelievable, yeah, and it's hard yeah, not yeah. to, to well, laugh I, when I say I that. I totally agree
0: with you. That's wrong. Yeah. That's wrong. Uh, another
3: one is you have to get uh, 10% in a poll, which is an astronomical ask. And sure. there's only been yeah, one poll. Yeah. And that was in uh, either late June or early well, July. Arguably,
0: arguably, if you had a debate and were included in it and did well, that might give you a better polling. but. Yeah, well um I hope it wouldn't give me worse bowling <laughs> right well there are, but if i the, if that it sometimes does, happens with candidates exactly and if it does <laughs> I deserve it that's, right. that's on me it's not on well a, Rick it's uh, been a pleasure having you on the program and I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us I know you've got a busy schedule thank you.
3: Well, I appreciate your invitation, and I uh, look forward to the next one.
0: Folks, uh, Rick Stewart, Libertarian candidate for governor of Iowa. Again, the other governor gubernatorial candidates, Democrat and Republican, have been invited. I'll let you know if and when they will appear on this program. When we come back from a short break, we're going to talk about something that sounds dull. It's not. Double cropping. Matt Russell is going to join us in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, you can support this alternative to the Angry Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business or nonprofit sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website for details about that. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark Klipsham is the owner and he knows we have to build better health for people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. So um, I was uh, gabbing with uh, Secretary uh, Tom Vilsack the other day and uh, I was curious about double cropping and he said well you should talk to Matt Russell and here he is in the studio. Matt Russell With the USDA, um, double cropping, I'm guessing that 99% of you listening to this program are going to say, maybe I should turn the dial right now. Don't do that. This is interesting stuff. Matt, in a nutshell, just to get it started, double cropping is, I mean, I I know what double
4: cropping is to me. What does it mean and why is it important? Yeah. Uh, Double cropping is typically in Iowa, the Iowa context, we grow corn and soybeans one crop per year. Double cropping is when you take that and you add a second crop within that same uh, calendar year or growing season.
0: And does that work? uh, So the the idea is that maybe instead of growing corn and then waiting until the next year to grow soybeans, you're going to grow something else in between, maybe wheat, maybe oats, maybe alfalfa, that sort of thing?
4: Yeah. um, So the the crops in Iowa that are getting the most attention would be to probably do like a, a winter wheat. So plant wheat in the fall. And then harvest it early uh, and then put soybeans down right after you've harvested because you're going to harvest early and then get the soybeans in. Um, And that would be like the most typical Mm. double cropping. And
0: am I correct to assume that part of the motivation for this increased interest in double cropping is the crisis in Ukraine where a big chunk of the world's grain grain, grain supply is being
4: threatened? I think that's accurate, that that it's a catalyst moment, right? Um, I think what's interesting is the whole idea of how we evolve in agriculture and farmers, um, that this is getting the attention and so we're thinking about it, but there's already been some some folks doing this for a long time and really kind of sure. creative about it. Um, so really well, long-term thinking, right? Long-term thinking is how are we using our natural resource and are we using it um, the most effective best way we can? And the answer usually is no. There's always something we can do to yeah. improve it. So that's, that's long-term some of this. Short-term, I think you're right. It's, it's, a, it's an immediate crisis. Long-term, what does that mean? How can we think differently about what we're doing? Well, historically, uh, and again, you know, we, we can have this conversation in different agricultural
0: contexts around the country, but in Iowa and in other places too, historically, you had a crop rotation that might go for five years, corn, soybeans, oats, alfalfa, I think alfalfa might have been might have been planted in two of those five years, <clears throat> but this is different. This is actually cramming an extra crop into a, an
4: annual cycle. Or yeah, yeah. Um, is, is that a good thing for the soil? So it can be po- potential, yes, right. It, it it's all in the details of how we do it, and mm-hmm. we're and and the the piece that's the most important part of this in terms of policy that's incentivizing is that. It's really about crop insurance. So, currently, up until now, there were very, in Iowa. If you grew a crop of, say, wheat, and you plant it in the fall and you harvest it in the spring or the mm-hmm. early summer, that was it. You couldn't insure through crop insurance another crop, right? You could. You got one shot. Um, what this uh, policy move is is that. We're looking at crop insurance, we're looking at our risk management agency, looking at are there some places where we could do a, a double crop. And so you, you, you harvest your wheat, then you plant your soybeans and you're able to insure both crops. And I guess that, that brings up a whole nother question.
0: Is crop insurance the best way to assure food reliability?
4: Um, is, it, is it the best? It's what we're doing now. And it changes all the time. Right. Um, so got I got another it, farm, farm bill coming up pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, 2023, yeah. if, if uh, the, the current farm bill from 2018 expires right, at, uh, uh, less than a year from now, uh, right. at the end of September, 2023. Um, and so we will either reauthorize, we will authorize another farm bill or oftentimes the case we kick the can down the road and we extend the current farm bill to pass another farm bill at a later date. So yes, you are right. This All of this is, is part of the discussion. It's part of Ukraine. It's part of the energy crisis. It's part of the fact that we're renewing the Farm Bill. And it's part of the fact that there is a growing realization that agriculture is going to have to play a part in responding to the climate crisis. All of this is happening and um, but, lots of moving parts. But, but
0: just as certain, certain uh, crops have always kind of had favored plant status, if I can call it that, uh, there, there are certain crops that benefit from the crop insurance program and then yes. a lot of crops that don't. Uh, for example, Correct. nothing that Kathy and I grow
4: on our urban farm <laughs> right. would qualify for the crop insurance program. Uh, it would not qualify for what we typically call the crop insurance program, so um, you know, the commodity program. What you're growing could, could qualify potentially. I don't want to say definitively, but it's likely that there are some things like the, the non-insured agricultural products. Uh, there, there's a risk management tool that, that you might qualify for. Um, so there are some alternatives. But to your point, the big investments in crop insurance are mostly around the five commodity crops of corn, wheat, rice, sugar, and... Cotton. Cotton. And um, peanuts has its own... Thing going on as well, but those those have a different level of. I mean, they have those are the commodity crops with the big, you know, crop insurance programs, mm. um, and and then specialty crops, fruits and vegetables, those kinds of things.
0: The stuff we actually eat. Yeah. Unlike <laughs> corn, right? Soybeans, cotton. Okay, wheat, weed, <laughs> and rice, weed. Right. But you know, two out of those five crops we. That's the, the, the their, their food. The rest are for other, and I'm not saying they aren't valuable purposes. But right, right. But I I, I love that specialty crops are the ones we actually eat. That's a weird definition to me. Maybe we got to work on that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and 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 there there are opportunities to do that. Um, yeah. But uh, you, do you have a point about the uh, the 2023 Farm Bill yeah. and double cropping? It sounds like one of your challenges is to convince the. The folks writing the farm bill to include uh, the that additional planting in the crop insurance program, so that right. when when the corn is harvested and the winter wheat goes in, and you know before the soybeans go in next spring, you want to make sure that all three of those crops are included
4: in the crop insurance program. Is that, that am I hearing that correctly? So, what's new is that in in say next year, twenty twenty three. You could harvest off the same acres, you could harvest wheat and you could harvest soybeans and both of those crops could be insured. Okay, right. And th- what's interesting is so, so. that this is, this is an evolution of, of crop insurance. And a, a good like similar thing that happened about 10 years ago was that we used to not allow you to do a cover crop mm. and to have an ins- and, and have an insured crop. So if I planted cover crops in the fall and then uh, you know in the spring I let them grow, then I terminated them and planted soybeans, we used to say the crop insurance at RMA used to say, Nope, non insurable. Right. Which was kind of silly, right? Because well, it, 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 incur- it it I mean that's
0: that's good behavior. Planting that cover crop right, is right. good behavior. So it
4: took, it took RMA a little bit to catch up. Right.
0: right. I, I guess, I, I mean, maybe I asked my question in an awkward way, but the corn is covered under, under crop insurance. Right. The wheat is covered, but once it's harvested in the spring, the soybean crop that you would logically plant next would not be covered. Correct. So that's what you want to change in the 2020 Farm Bill.
4: Well, th- yeah, there's going to be... Among other things. Yeah. So actually, the USDA and RMA actually change that um, for this coming year. So there are now counties okay. right. where you can do that. You can, okay. you can. And, and there's another thing called relay cropping, which is similar but not exactly the same. So, so uh, double cropping is I harvest, the, I harvest the wheat and then I go plant my soybeans. Right. Relay cropping is where I go out and I, uh, I may plant something, like I plant my soybeans into my wheat crop Ah. before i then i go out and i harvest my wheat and then the soybeans continue to grow hmm. and then i harvest my soybeans i'm guessing that and this is this is where the innovation comes in right, the right. farmers are thinking and doing sure. this and that's where uh, where you say you know double cropping oh that could be really harmful because and it could be if, if you do it in a way where you just keep mining everything out of the soil right. but if you think about what are the rotations and what are the combinations of crops and that's in my mind, that's what's optimistic about this moment. Doesn't it potentially also uh, impact uh, yields in a negative way? Right. That, that's the point about the crop insurance is that, well, okay. if, if, if you plant the wheat, harvest it, then you come in and you plant the soybeans, your, your, your soybeans are going to be planted later and therefore they might not yield as much. Right. And that's, where the, that's the, the responsible part of crop insurance is where they don't want you to get the same indemnity like, oh, I used to get 60 bushel soybeans. Now yeah. I'm double cropping. I only got 40 bushel soybeans. Therefore, I should get a payment on my right. crop insurance. Would you, but in you, fact, you, they're going to adjust you, you, it so that you, you don't.
0: But you're going to get more overall because you've got that third crop, that wheat crop in there.
4: Right. right. And that and that's, and that's that too is part of this is are we incentivizing farmers to simply maximize yield on an annual basis or are we giving them some tools to actually maximize Pro- productivity. So I might have lower yields in my, my soybeans, well, but I the, might be actually more productive. And by adding a small grain, if I'm going to do winter wheat and add a small grain into the mix, there could be a real benefit for soil health. That's, too. Uh, that's what I was
0: thinking. I mean, I, th- I think to me, the productivity is important, but obviously long-term sustainability of
4: the soil is critical. And no disagreement on that yeah. from me. So we're let on me on
0: add, the the, well, we're talking about the 2023 Farm Bill. <laughs> What do you see uh, the USDA pushing for that farm bill to do in terms of, quote, specialty crops, (laughs) a.k.a. food? Yeah. What what can they do to help localize food product, food production for, you know, for direct marketing?
4: Right. So first off, I've got to be clear, I can't. In in wearing my USDA hat, I can't advocate for the Farm Bill. That's not part of mine. So generally speaking, I'm not advocating for anything specifically, but generally (laughs) speaking, I think that's part of the debate is how are we going to come to the Farm Bill in a new landscape and and really think more creatively about what we're going to do with all those tools. The American public consistently says, we support farmers. We, We want to invest in this. And it's a new day, I think, for people to look and see what do we want to support. Yeah, and do you think there will be some uh, some push
0: for uh, helping to develop more local markets? I mean, I mean, what we what we do is pretty unique here. Yeah, uh, but we're we're not we're, we're not a farm to market initiative. Right. Uh, we we're we're educational. We teach people how to turn their yard into dinner. Yeah, and but, it's beautiful by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> but but there are there are plenty of people trying to do make a living, you know, growing food for that local market, and that local market is growing. I mean, I think right now there's more demand than there is supply. Yeah. What can what can the 2023 Farm Bill do to help increase this supply?
4: Well, again, there's I a, know it's not long, right. Yeah. But <laughs> what I will say is that this administration, the Biden Harris administration, we are looking at urban agriculture. We're looking at bringing in new farmers. So there's some things that we're doing within the confines of the current Farm Bill and administrative authority at USDA. And we are looking at, at opportunities to advance okay. many a, much of this.
0: Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Folks, we've been talking with Matt Russell with the USDA, and uh, we started off talking about double cropping and kind of morphed into the uh, other other relevant topics uh, tied to the 2023 Farm Bill, which is coming up sooner than you think. Yeah. Hey, um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Kathy Burns will join me. We're going to have a have our monthly uh, garden Q and A. This will be our October garden Q and A. We're looking at some interesting questions, and we got some good answers for you. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a non you can become a sponsor of this program. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, one of our sponsors, and Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway has an excellent local produce selection as well. And you can check out their catering and floral services too. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. With me now, Kathy Burns. We are doing our October Garden Q&A. Kathy, what kind of questions are being, being thrown our way these days?
2: Well, fall questions. Fall questions. Imagine <laughs> that. Imagine that. Uh, there, there are a lot of questions that seem to start with, what do I do with or when do I do something? So the first one was about... Uh, butternut and spaghetti squash, or in other words, some winter squash. Somebody's wondering if they have to pick them before the frost. And the concern was everything in the garden, as is the case for a lot of folks in our area in here in Iowa, uh, things are ripening late. Yeah. And so they want to give their winter squash as much time as possible. So the answer is uh, yes, harvest before the frost, or... Cheat like we do, Ed, (laughs) and use sheets and blankets over them if you're going to get a frost.
0: Yeah. If you have, you know, enough sheets and blankets or if you have, you know, not so many plants that you can't cover them all. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, squash tend to be a little bit hardy.
2: A little bit. Iowa State University does recommend harvesting, harvesting them before the frost, saying that that will then allow you to... Cure them better and mm. have uh, more longevity and a sweeter fruit. But overall. if it's a
0: light frost or even a mild freeze, it's that's not going to destroy them. It won't They'll destroy okay.
2: them. It won't destroy them. But the the recommendation right. again for, for the curing, extension yeah. is to to get the nicest tasting, longest right. lasting crop is to do that. And uh, by the way, if you have underripe squash. Mm. And we've had that. Mm -hmm. If the skin is not already too hard, you can take it skin and all and shred it like you would zucchini. Freeze it. You don't have to blanch it or anything. You can just freeze that shredded uh, squash. Squashini. Squashini. Yeah. And pack it in in your container nice and tight so it doesn't get air. And then use that like a shredded zucchini. So, you know, like a zucchini bread, a cake. Um, I like to saute it as a base for uh, marinara.
0: I will say last year we had a bumper squumpkin. That's a, that's a butternut squash pumpkin cross. A, a, a bumper squumpkin harvest, uh, 200 pounds, mm-hmm. and we still have one in the basement. We do. It's, we do. it's, it's, it's uh, fun it's, to see how it's long It's a year old, and it's still in great shape anyway. <laughs> wow.
2: We better check it every day, make sure it doesn't explode.
0: <laughs> I check it every week
2: um a lot of people and we had a neighbor ask us this just the other day what am i going to do with all the green tomatoes at the end of the season and they're again worrying about a frost they want to get them off before the there's frost there's a movie comes. about that right fried green tomatoes <laughs> you know that i'm sh- that's a good food we don't tend to like to cook it and eat it ourselves if somebody else cooks it for us that's great but we just don't really go there a lot i think we've done it a few times
0: and we have a friend who does an amazing job with uh Mm -hmm. with uh, green tomatoes Mm -hmm. this away yeah
2: shout out and uh you can pick them green if they're already fully grown but still green you can set them on your counter and let them ripen to speed that up you can wrap them in newspaper put them in a paper bag or just Put them closer together so they're touching and they they tend to ripen each other I,
0: You know, historically, I I think my goal has been to have at least one ripe tomato that had been green at one point available for Thanksgiving dinner.
2: That's fun. (laughs) Also, we like to have a ripe tomato for BLTs when we have a uh, fall crop of lettuce.
0: Yeah, which we do. So that's fun. We just, just have to find on. the
2: bacon in the bottom of the deep
0: freeze.
2: <laughs> um, also, green tomatoes can be sliced and roasted with olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper. And that's a sour, kind of a sour piquant mm. sort of mm-hmm. a... Uh, flavor And it's nice for tomato salsas and also for a curry dish. Right, very good. Another question. I need help. I burnt a roaster full of spaghetti sauce. Is there a way to save it? It was my last of the garden to process. I'm so disappointed and we are so sorry. Uh, that's a okay. really hard thing.
0: Um, we've, what, we've had that happen. Yeah, it, it depends. My experience is it depends on how badly mm-hmm. burned it is. Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, and if you stirred the burntness in, then you probably are toast. That's probably mm-hmm. something you should compost. Right. But if you are able to take the, you know, t- take most of it off without mixing the burnt bottom in. Mm-hmm.
2: And so know. just literally turn that stove off and get it off that burner and just pour it out. Don't scrape it with a spatula right, or anything, right. don't disturb that scour part just um, or scalded part just yeah. just but again, try yeah. to siphon it
0: off sorry to hear this
2: <laughs> somebody is harvesting their sweet potatoes and that it must be in an area where they've already had a frost but uh, they they have a photo of them and this is their first time to grow they were all twisted together and the the, the roots That's were growing pretty, around pretty common. It. but these were these were in these came out of the ground in a twisty clump huh, okay in, with with um, the 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 um, roots growing around them I like a little tree. I think pretty trap. normal, isn't it? Well, a lot of people thought and I agreed when I saw the picture that that they were really close together and I'm just oh, thinking that yeah. the compactness of the soil might have been the problem. Well, yeah, they
0: might have had the plants uh, too close together. Right. Um,
2: right. Maybe some clay in you know. the soil too. Yeah. Just not allowing them to expand. But
0: yeah, I mean, one, the key thing about sweet potatoes in my experience is that you want to you want to harvest them as soon as you got a frost. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that frost will begin. To, the 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 leaves are very susceptible. They'll die quickly, and that 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 uh, the decay will spread to the tubers pretty uh, pretty mm-hmm. well. Not tubers, the roots, pretty quickly.
2: Couple more questions. Can tomato cages spread disease from year to year? I'm thinking by disease. Yes. They Blights, they, right? they mean the blight. Yeah, yeah, sure. And the answer yes, yes, yeah. yes. And the solution.
4: Bleach. Bleach. <laughs> and you don't have to go,
2: just soak them in a big yeah, bucket well, of bleach. You could just sp- wash them. It, spray, them, yeah. spray sure. them in. That's a way to conserve the amount of bleach you have to use. Give it a bleach solution and water. Uh, spray it. Let it sit there. And then and then maybe wipe that off with a cloth. Yeah. So. Any garlic questions? Uh, there was... I, was there a garlic question? Yes. Can I cover my garlic with leaves when they fall off the trees, With meaning the leaves, or do I need to go buy a small bale of hay? Neither,
0: and, I would say. First of all, hay is for eating. Uh, straw is for bedding. Okay. Do, you don't want to eat your mattress. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, you can use hay if you want. I We have a friend who uses uh, leaves, and his garlic mm-hmm. does fine. To me, straw works so much better. It, it creates air little air spaces. A loft, a better and, insulation. Yeah, and then you don't really even have to move it in the spring. Those 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 shoots in the, in late February, early March, depending where you are, those will come right through the uh, right through the straw. The I'm garlic glad, shoots.
2: I'm glad you got to the garlic question. Thank you. Yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, we and here in, in central Iowa, we don't even plant garlic until uh, until the very end of the uh, until the beginning of November these days. Right. Kathy, thanks for joining us. You betcha. Thanks, folks, for listening to today's program. And to our guests, Ralph King, Rick Stewart, and Matt Russell, thank you for joining us. Thanks to our production squad, Sherry Hardina, Forrest Determan, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Vibes Kitchen and Bar, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.